You guys, welcome to episode 121, can you believe it, of this mushroom, the podcast that deep dives into well-known, and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It is me, a bloated Matthew Knowles, and I am a little nervous about today's episode, I'm not going to lie to you. All I ask before we even get started is that I don't want to be stoned. When you guys do come after me, I don't want to be stoned. I know that that's old school, it's classic, but just put me out of my misery. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be nailed to any crosses. Just execute me quickly and uh, humanely. That's all I ask. And please don't come after my children. You know what I mean? I don't want my kids attacked. I want them to live a normal life. Just please. That's all I ask because I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. Today's episode is one that this is like the moment that I've been dreading for ever and the reason that I was like really nervous about doing a Beyonce and Jay-Z episode because I have some controversial opinions I guess so I guess allegedly um which we'll get to obviously and yeah I mean I'm I'm excited but I'm also just like eek and also I should let you know before we get started that this episode is going to be very music heavy like we're obviously going to talk about their relationship of course but This is a moment for both of them that was extremely heightened when it came to music. Uh, Beyonce was sort of reinventing herself in a way that it's too important to skip over. And Jay released an album that has become one of the biggest spectacles in rap history. So just a little warning. I don't know. I don't even know if you'll care about that. But like, yeah, this is a a music heavy episode. Who cares? Um... And I don't know if I have anything else to say. Also, I mean, yeah, just continue sending me voice notes. You guys have sent me some really funny, really, really funny voice notes, some really funny um, emails and just general messages, some DMs. I've gotten a few like celebrity uh, encounter moments that have been just awe-inspiring. And I don't know when I'm going to put together the mailbag episode, but I'm hoping very soon. I still want to get a few more things in, so... Please, please, please send things to smushroompod at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I guess aside from that, we can go ahead and get started on part four of this episode. And also, before we get started, I should let you know, don't hate me. This is going to be five parts. I know. It's insane. Again, you guys have been pretty supportive about this. Like, you keep telling me, like, do as many as you feel like you need to do and then it's fine. And this is going to be five parts. I don't know why I feel like I'm doing something like rebellious. This is my podcast. I could literally do as many as I want, but I don't want to like, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm just letting you know, this is going to be a five part episode. I know for sure that next week I'll be able to watch me be like, you guys, it's eight parts. I'm sorry, but no, I'm 100% positive that next week I'll be able to tie this all together and be done with it. It may be a little bit longer than you're used to. Um, but I will finish this eventually. (laughs) I'm not going to make my career talking about Beyonce, um, even though I'm more than happy to do that. Anyway, where we left off, Beyonce and Jay had just gotten married in his basketball court-sized living room, and Beyonce is quickly approaching her I Am Sasha Fierce moment of her career, so you know what that means. We're talking about fucking single ladies today, gals. So you can't say that Uncle Troy didn't get you anything for Christmas this year. Can we talk? We are discussing single ladies today. So yeah, I am very excited. There's a lot of fun, just fun pop culture moments to discuss this episode. And I mentioned last week that they didn't release photos of their wedding to the public. And it was years before we got any actual footage of of what it looked like, which in itself is like actually kind of badass. You guys know that. I say this all the time, like a celebrity wedding is, it's like the Cliff's notes on who these people are in their relationship. Everything from the location to the amount of money that they spend, the amount of privacy, considering a celebrity can afford to be as locked down and private or as showboating and attention seeking as they see fit. It's really, truly the sky's the limit. So... It can really go either way. And the comparison of a wedding like this that is super private and intimate versus like a like a Kim and Chris situation 
being televised and, you know, having secret microphones built all over the wedding so that the production team hidden in this, like, cloaked room can turn it into a seven-hour fairy tale for E. And then you have weddings like Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee where they, you know, built an amusement park and they had little people swinging from ropes and they had, you know, ambulances waiting outside with IVs because they knew that their friends would OD. In some instances, it's kind of like the closest you can get to being a fly on the wall in their home. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know, whatever. You guys know how I feel about weddings. I didn't even know that I loved weddings until this podcast. And I don't even think I love normal weddings. I only love celebrity weddings. Normal weddings I could give two shits about. I'm not that person who, like, cries at weddings. I don't care. But I do love a celebrity moment. Anyway, I'm coming in hot this week and jumping head first, no life vest, straight into I Am Sasha Fierce. I told you this is a very music-heavy episode. Um, and you know, when you do things like have a three, four and five part episode of one couple, you can do crazy things like this. <laughs> this is life on the other side. Like I actually feel like I've become privy to the luxuries of the 1%. If you want to know the truth, this is what glamour feels like to me. This is my own personal glamour. Um, in fall of 2008, Beyonce introduced her alter ego to the world. Someone we've all come to know and love named Sasha Fierce. Uh, Beyonce told The Guardian in 2008, Sasha Fierce is fun, more sensual, more aggressive, and more outspoken. Uh, She's the more outspoken side and more glamorous side that comes out when I'm working and when I'm on stage. I have someone else that takes over when when it's time for me to work and when I'm on stage, and this alter ego that I've created kind of protects me from who I actually am. And this is like a very specific, this is fun. I don't get to talk about this very often. Um, I think we have a couple times, but this is a very specific and interesting trope of um, female and occasionally male uh, pop stars, like the alter ego. Can we talk for a quick second? Can we have like a side chat about the alter ego and this being like a whole thing? This is almost like a rite of passage to say, you know, I've reached this point in my career where not only am I iconic, but I have another identity for you to get to know. And also, for the record, a chic way to blame your behavior on this other being. And if you pull it off well enough, the public is like, like literally the general public is like, oh, oh poor thing. That was, that was not, we're sorry, that was not Beyonce. That was Sasha Fierce. Beyonce was not inhabiting her body at that moment. Poor thing. Bless her. That was Sasha. Oh, Beyonce didn't say that. Also, by the way, at this point, countless other artists had tried their hand at the alter ego thing. And some did it really well, but then some did it in ways that they couldn't um, recover from. In Pitchfork's album review in 2008 for I Am Sasha Fierce, they said, uh, the split personality gimmick is now a tired and more than often not hapless pop theme. See Garth Brooks' proto-emo character Chris Gaines. (laughs) Sorry. The mere mention of Chris Gaines, and I get goosebumps. I mean, honestly. Uh, T.I. versus Tip and the street versus boardroom dynamic of her hubby, Jay-Z's Kingdom Come. And you also had people like Britney, who had, you know, by this time introduced Mona Lisa to the world, though, like, that one may be a little bit more complicated, as things tend to be when it comes to Britney. Um, You also had Eminem and Slim Shady, of course, uh, Gaga and Joe Calderon, Nicki Minaj and Roman. I mean, this goes back as far as, like, David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust. Like, this isn't by any means, like, a new thing, but it's just interesting to see, like, the different ways different people um, are sort of successful in doing this. And then people like Garth Brooks, where it blows up in their face in a way so abysmal that they pretend that it never happened. Like, if I were Trisha Yearwood, I would literally bring up (laughs) Chris Gaines once per day. He would roll over in the morning, wake up, see me, blink, blink in his face, and I would be eager to speak and get to know more about Chris Gaines. I Am Sasha Fierce was released in November of 2008 and was described during the album promotion as Beyonce staying true to her roots while also experimenting and leaning into this new unapologetically over-the-top like diva persona. Um... And I mentioned last week that this era of Beyonce's career was sort of the end of her releasing like full on R&B albums, which I know for like really hardcore diehard Beyonce fans really does mean something. 
And she actually told Billboard right before the release of this album that it would be a double disc, one side with like mainstream, like radio, mostly pop friendly songs. And then another side that would be just like pure R&B for people who had been there since the beginning. Because she did have an audience of people who like really relied on that R&B sound from her. Girls. Did you know that it's never been easier for you to try Lola and switch natural period products? Lola offers two trial sets, each featuring a mixed assortment of period products made with 100% organic cotton for just $5. Both sets include six compact plastic applicator tampons, one light, two regular, two super, and one super plus, paired with either two ultra thin liners or two cleansing wipes. It's super easy to customize the assortment of your tampons in your subscription. Skip a month, cancel at any time, no risk, all reward. The chic thing about Lola is that they believe in total transparency when it comes to ingredients. You didn't hear it from me, but the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients on their feminine care products. So most of them just don't. That's why big box brands use disclaimers like may contain on their boxes. Lola thinks every woman deserves to know exactly what's going on in their bodies, so they list every ingredient on the box. Lola's goal is to make your period just a little bit easier. Subscriptions are customizable, so you can choose your mix of products and absorbencies down to the exact number of lights and supers in a box. It's also super easy to edit your order. You can make changes to your delivery frequency, you can skip a month, you can cancel your subscription at any time. Honey, it is your world. Lola is also making an impact. Every time you choose Lola, you're supporting a brand that gives back to women in need. To date, Lola has donated over 2 million period products and counting through their charity partner, I Support the Girls. I can tell you who I know for sure loves Lola, and that's every woman who stepped foot in my apartment in the past month. I feel very chic being like, just so you know, there's a glass jar of 100% organic cotton Lola products next to the sink as they enter my bathroom, and I'm not joking. Sis, what are you waiting for? Get 30% off your $5 trial set today. Visit mylola.com and enter smush to redeem your offer. That's mylola.com and enter smush to redeem the offer. S-M-U-S-H. And it's really interesting when you go back and read reviews of her old albums because people were so much less precious about her 10 years ago. And I can tell you firsthand, a lot of the music publications didn't have really high hopes for this album. And they didn't love it initially, which is like really shocking. Like you look back on an album that has single ladies on it and you just think like, you know, she hit it out of the park. But when you really like read these reviews, people were pretty vicious about it. Um, Pitchfork said in 2008, speaking once again to her penchant for outdated and obsolete, it's a two disc affair also available in a deluxe edition with five additional tracks. Didn't anyone tell Beyonce that about her, about Christina Aguilera's recent diva-fied double disc disappointment back to basics and that you're supposed to put the deluxe edition out six or eight months after the regular edition? Nobody wins with Beyonce versus Sasha Fierce. Often the listener is the one who loses. On the Beyonce side, while the tracks like the effective and affecting gender bending If I Were a Boy and the stunning Love is God power ballad Halo find the singer both strident and exposed, there's lots of wispy nonsense, wispy nonsense seemingly dug out of Celine Dion's scrap pile. Like, honey, Pitchfork reads you the fucking house down. I would be terrified if I were an artist and I released an album and I saw that Pitchfork had uh, reviewed it. They are vicious. Um, They also said flip to the Sasha side, which is more listenable overall, but also more pandering. There's the ones that's the one song that sounds like past Beyonce hits, Single Ladies. Imagine calling Single Ladies that one song. Uh, The one that sounds like Amelie, Diva, and the one that sounds like Rihanna, Sweet Dreams. For someone famous for effortlessly sparking trends, uh, there are surprising amounts of opportunistic retreads here. Beyonce was also very clear about the fact that this album cycle was designed to create even more mystery around her, something that I ranted about last week. Um, Now, I just want to point out before I read this quote that I discovered this after last week's episode, so we can all confirm that I did, in fact, Otome Beyonce, and uh, I'm in a place right now where I'm reading her thoughts. We are so connected that I'm reading her mind. We have the same pulse. It's amazing. This is also from Pitchfork in 2008. They said, though she's only 27, Beyonce goes out of her way to be an old-fashioned celebrity, the type offended by Pete Wentz blogging about Oscar the Grouch or Britney Spears twittering her life away. She said, I feel that, especially now with the with the internet and paparazzi and camera phones, it's so difficult to tame, it's so difficult to maintain mystery. 
She said earlier this year, it's almost impossible to have superstars now because people will know everything. They never get enough. And in our TMZ-addled world, her reluctance to entertain most questions about her personal life is both refreshing and a bit stubborn. Can we talk? She's a megawatt anachronism in sky-high heels and a frozen smile. So without much outside interference, Beyonce's fan artist connection relies almost wholly on her music. The only place to find the real Beyonce is in her albums. With that direct relationship in mind comes I Am Sasha Fierce, a supposed window into the soul of Beyonce, as well as her half-flipping sex pot alter ego. Half-flipping? That was obviously hair-flipping. Um, and it's also crazy because, like I said, you look back on an album like this and just assume it was love because of the singles that came from it. Uh, but a lot of the reviews were very mixed, and many of them were negative. And Beyonce wasn't as much of a sure thing. What I have to remind myself is that Beyonce at this point was not as much of a sure thing as she is now. Like Beyonce could literally release an album of static and it would it would do wonders. It would be amazing. It would sell out, whatever. But at this time, people were still sort of trying to figure out, even though it's insane because she had accomplished so much post-Destiny's Child, people were still sort of trying to figure out who's who Beyonce's post-Destiny's Child identity was. You know what I mean? Because she had slowly, over the years, been kind of reining it in and becoming more and more secretive and private and mysterious. (laughs) Um, And this was only her third solo album. She wasn't even a solo artist for very long at this point. It's fascinating. The singles from this album included If I Were a Boy, Single Ladies, Diva, Halo, Ego, Sweet Dreams, Brokenhearted Girl, Video Phone, and Why Don't You Love Me. Now look, if you thought that we were going to be in-depthly discussing this period of time and not discuss single ladies, like, you must not know me very well at this point. Hi, it's nice to meet you. My name is Shelley Duvall. I am the rain man of useless celebrity information. And yes, of course, we are talking about single ladies today. In all seriousness, I wanted to talk about this song because it's so, so, so important not only to Beyonce's career but as a milestone in her very public but also extremely private relationship with Jay. Uh, Single Ladies was one of the first releases from this album along with If I Were a Boy I guess to sort of introduce the world to both sides of this double album and her dueling personalities. By the way if you're a conspiracy theorist like listening to me talk about Beyonce's dueling personalities like I see you your spidey, t- your spidey senses are tangling and just know that we see each other. <laughs> um, and we're actually going to talk about If I Were a Boy in a second as well, because that also had a really interesting release and a lot of drama surrounding it. So Single Ladies was produced by The Dream and Chris Stewart in 2008. And the idea for the song came about by The Dream after Beyonce and Jay's secret marriage. He said in an interview that this song up to this point, was the first public comment Jay or Beyonce had ever made about their marriage. You have to understand, they've not released, you know, photos. They don't really wear wedding rings. Um, Their wedding was held in his living room, so there's no, you know, leaked images of it. Like, literally, at this point, it, it is an illusion. So this song coming out actually was a really big deal. Um, he even said that Beyonce was reluctant, rel- <laughs> she was reluctant to wear her wedding, wedding, her wedding ring in studio. Like she would take it off to record her album. And when this song was released, it immediately felt like a song that would be used to describe Beyonce as an artist for the rest of her career. I mention this all the time that, you know, Britney is now known as the toxic singer in publications, no matter how many years pass, it doesn't matter what they're writing about. It could be uh, an update on her 5150, uh, her conservatorship, or it could be them announcing that she's performing in Vegas. She will always be described, no matter what, as the toxic singer. And this song is Beyonce's legacy. You know, it obviously belongs in the pop canon. And the music video is like... I don't, I don't, how do you even describe this music video's impact on the world? This was one of the very first YouTube-specific videos to be parodied in the way that people like 
you know, Jimmy Fallon have now sucked every fucking ounce of joy out of, but you get what I mean. And also the rewatchability of the single ladies video cross paths with a very new to the internet YouTube in a way that helped, I think, both parties greatly. Um, it sort of helped usher in this new version of what MTV meant to people in the 80s when, you know, it was like revolutionary that you could watch music videos whenever you wanted all day. But now you could not only rewatch this video as many times as you want, but you could also, you know, create your own version of it in your bedroom and then post it and then become this like viral sensation. Um, anybody who touched single ladies at this time during this really specific sweet spot, like right after it was released, could gain this weird like mid 2000s like internet presence. You had the SNL parody with Justin Timberlake and you had the um, like Kurt's version of it from Glee that was its own like YouTube viral moment that happened and there were so many more. And the importance of Beyonce acknowledging their relationship in this song must also be like, we need to like talk about that just like a tiny bit more. This was major. And I don't know if I'll be able to really put it in words, but it had that like, again, that like 90s Michael Jackson, almost like Willy Wonka whimsy that we talked about last week where she had deliberately chosen art to announce to the world that she was married. Um, and by the way, what is a Beyonce album release without a little drama from Camp Knowles from my favorite bloated Matthew and some alleged plagiarism because it's Beyonce and her dad. Hello. Um, so the very first controversy involved uh, the inspiration for the music video, as we all kind of vaguely remember. Here's the thing. Anyone of like a particular age or <laughs> just flaming homosexual raised by older women or whatever could look at what she was doing and know immediately that it was inspired by Bob Fosse. Like it wasn't, it wasn't hidden. This was a Bob Fosse production really. Um, but it took the general public a bit more time to realize that they had seen this dance somewhere. And then the videos of the comparisons started popping up on YouTube. And that was a thing. Um, and even though Beyonce had, you know, tiny little like plagiarism fires that she had been forced to put out in the past. This was a major one because the song was huge. And the issue had always been not really that she had plagiarized, but that she would do things that were inspired by people blatantly and not give them credit until she was cornered and forced to. It would take months, sometimes years for her to just to finally say, Yes, that song was inspired by that person. Yes, this person helped me write this song. Absolutely. Neo did have a really big part in this song. Absolutely. Uh, yep, I. you know what? I did watch a YouTube video and I stole that idea. Uh-huh. It was an inspiration. Absolutely. It would take so long for that to finally happen that <laughs> Single Ladies was like the pimple that needed to finally be popped. And the thing about Beyonce is that she'll claim to have been inspired by all these different things. Um, the fertility goddess Oshun or whatever. And then you see a clip from an old movie or something and you're like, okay, so you just fully, this is the same scene. This is, you. it's step, every single, it's paint by numbers. This is the exact same thing. You know what I mean? Um, but she did finally admit several months after you know, people speculating and there being this like whole major controversy surrounding it, uh, that the idea was in fact taken from um, a YouTube video that she watched of uh, some Bob Fosse dancers on the Ed Sullivan show. And she and her choreographer decided that they would modernize the dance. There was a similar issue involving If I Were a Boy. Uh, the song was mostly written by a woman named BC Jean and her partner Toby Gad. So BC came up with the inspiration for this song after visiting a pizza shop in Times Square with Toby and having this whole like internal crisis moment about being embarrassed that she was going to be ordering pizza and then eating it in front of people and like being insecure about her body and realizing that if she were a man, like she wouldn't have those same feelings, which by the way, uh, BC, can we have a quick side chat gal? Um, Shame comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, and creeds. I can't tell you. Like, I, I don't recall a moment of being in New York 
and eating something greasy and like slovenly on the street and not feeling shame. Like me being male, trust me, trust me. Um, so this led to her reflecting on like her past lovers and how, you know, if she were a boy, she would have treated herself better. You know, if, if she was lucky enough to date herself, she would have been such a better boyfriend to herself, blah, blah, blah. So her wet, <laughs> her, <laughs> her Weko company rejected the song. It's so funny when my like third and fourth grade speech problem just like randomly pops up. Like I never, it's like dormant and I don't really actively work on it, but it'll randomly pop out. And I'm like, oh, hi, 11 year old me, like trapped in a cage. Anyway, she presented the song to her record label. They uh, rejected the song. So then she started shopping it around to people. Beyonce loved the idea. She and Beyonce produced the song together, but it was written already by this woman. And Matthew, of course, as soon as he heard the song, immediately started obtaining publishing rights to it. So Beyonce, as we all know, lives by the rule that if she sang it, well, she wrote it. <laughs> so she failed to give credit to BC publicly. She was going on all these talk shows and saying that the inspiration from the song came from this and came from that and, you know, this experience and blah, 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 never mentioning that it was written by this woman. So BC wrote on her MySpace page, I've been reading some of these comments and to set the, now mind you, you'll understand that some moments in this, uh, this paragraph are capitalized and exclamation pointed and you'll know when. Uh, she said, I've been reading some of these comments and to set the record straight from the horse's mouth, if I were a boy is my song. Yes, I wrote that song. It is my story, a painful one. The song is very dear to me. You can hear the original version on my MySpace site. Now, we love a, a 2008 read. Check my MySpace site. Um, and I don't know why this makes me laugh, but one of the terms that they came to outside of court, like in their agreement, was that Beyonce would be forced to sing, I'm sorry, would be forced to sing a duet with this woman. I don't know why I think that's funny, but it's like, how awkward is that, like, forced gun-to-head energy? Like, why would you want that on your album? Part, part of your stipulation is that Beyonce has to, like, be your girlfriend. You know what I mean? <laughs> we have to shop together. It's mandatory. Um... Also, side note, I realized while doing research for this episode and just like looking at pictures of him constantly that Beyonce's dad is fully Uncle Frank. Like he gives me Uncle Frank vibes all day and all night. Uncle Frank from Home Alone. You know that moment in Home Alone where Uncle Frank is on the plane with his wife and he's like, they're in first class for the first time and he's like telling her to put the silverware in her purse. Put, put, put it in your purse. Uh, fill her up, please. That is so... Matthew Knowles bloated energy. I can't even, I can't. Um, the album went on to become the second best-selling album of the year. It won a ton of prestigious awards, including some VMAs, which, uh, you know, we're not going to get into that. I think Kanye and Taylor Swift have done 10 years worth of Smushroom episodes regarding that moment. And it's been certified double platinum, et cetera, et cetera. I also love this time in pop culture because the invasion of... Let's be honest, the invasion of Gaga allowed all of the pop girls, we talked about this before, I think in the Katy Perry episode, really allowed all of the girls to be as unapologetically artistic and weird as they wanted to be. Like, everybody could be as weird, like, artsy-fartsy huh, as they felt like being. Um, Beyonce told Essence Magazine in 2008, what Jay and I have is real. It's not about interviews or getting photo ops. It's real. She also revealed the reason they didn't get uh, engagement rings was because people put too much emphasis on that stuff and it's just material. She said, it's all just silly to me. Um, they kicked off 2009 with President Obama's inauguration. Can we talk? Alexa, play if I could turn back time. Beyonce sang the national anthem <laughs> and at last by Etta James. This is also just pure shade. Like, I only added this in because it's fucking hysterical to me. But, like, do you guys remember uh, Etta James, like, reading Beyonce publicly for, like, a month? Like, Etta James literally went on a press tour to just read Beyonce. Um, she said in an interview, this woman is obviously, like, insane. She said in an interview that the man with the big ears was not her president and that the woman 
who sang her song at the inauguration is going to get her ass whooped. Um, (laughs) I don't want to get too deep into that because it sounds like hate speech and this is a Christian podcast. Um, So rumors started to circulate in October of 2010 that Beyonce was pregnant, uh, to which her camp, of course, denied. Uh, Tina said in an interview with Access Hollywood that same month uh, that it wasn't true. She said, not right now. Uh, It's going to happen when it's time, but not right now. Beyonce loves kids, but she isn't ready to be a mother just yet. She really wanted to get her album done and go out on a world tour. Beyonce revealed later in 2013 that she had, in fact, been pregnant and ended up suffering a miscarriage during this time. Um, And in her Life is But a Dream documentary on HBO, she said, about two years ago, I was pregnant for the first time and I heard a heartbeat, um, which was the most beautiful music I'd ever heard in my entire life. Being pregnant was uh, very much like falling in love. You're so open. You're so overjoyed. There's no words that can really express having a baby growing inside you. So, of course, you want to scream it out and tell everyone. But early in the pregnancy, I flew back to New York to get my checkup and no heartbeat. Literally the week before I went to the doctor, everything was fine. And then there was no heartbeat. And in May of 2011, Jay posted a video on Beyonce or actually on his I think it was like his Facebook, I want to say. Um, of Beyonce rehearsing for American Idol and he captioned it sometimes you need perspective you've been right in front of greatness so often that you need to step back and see it again for the first time this is a dressing room rehearsal for American Idol no microphone and no effects um now we've talked a lot about Beyonce there is a a counter in this relationship his name is Jay-Z I don't know if you guys are aware Uh, (laughs) Jay-Z, again, I mentioned, I just have to say one more time, this is a very music-heavy episode. You understand, right? I mean, like, single ladies, I am Sasha Fierce, like, those are things that can't really, like, we can't talk about Beyonce and not talk in-depthly about fucking I am, uh, about single ladies. I mean, what would this episode be? So, in that same breath, I must mention an album released uh, in 2011, called Watch the Throne. Uh, Kanye West announced that after years of collaborating together, he and his brother Jay would be releasing a five-song EP called Watch the Throne, which was later scrapped and turned into a full-length album. So Jay and Kanye very famously went through like three or four different versions of this album, and they fought a lot during the production, um, and they had all these really intense creative differences, And their fighting caused a lot of delays and when the album would be released, which meant it became very public. And this all, by the way, makes complete sense when you think about it, because up to this point, Jay's music had become more and more and more commercial, not necessarily in a bad way, but just like he was releasing music that fed the masses. Like Jay-Z was releasing like buffet music. Do you know what I mean? The Blueprint 3 was described as artistically flat but a huge commercial success. Like he was literally releasing songs that were made for like car commercials. Whereas Kanye was on this sort of unconventional path. He had just released My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which up to this point was his most experimental and by industry standards, like his weirdest album to date. Um, Again, Pitchfork read the album to complete filth, they said, uh, Watch the Throne features the following things. Absurdly expensive samples, a pair of choruses from odd future R&B singer Frank Ocean at the exact moment where he's turning the corner and becoming a thing, another chorus from long been a thing Beyonce, a buddy-buddy shout shout out to President of the United States, multiple name checks of brands so expensive that you probably never heard of any of them, a murderer's row of producers working on almost every track, in a fleeting moment where Bonnie Vare's Justin Vernon sounds like the funkiest man alive. And yet for Jay-Z and Kanye West, this could actually be viewed as a relatively minor album. Amazing. Watch the Throne brings little to the twisted fantasy boundary melting of ambition or the Blueprint 3's commercial acumen. It's just two of rap's biggest figures and best friends getting together to make some of the, the swollen epic music that comes so naturally to them. And that being said, I mean, people did like the album, but that was like a big, that was a major criticism. Um, People loved it, but people, one of the things that I found really interesting about the reviews of this album is that people liked that Kanye pushed Jay out of his comfort zone 
and force him to take a less sort of commercial approach to releasing music. And they also liked that Jay helped sort of streamline Kanye's wacky thoughts and ideas. So in other words, they they had be this is their buddy cop album. Like they had become America's favorite buddy cop uh, bromance. And uh, Beyonce also appeared on the album, by the way, in a song called Lift Off. Um, the next milestone event to take place during Jay and Beyonce's life was the announcement of their alleged pillow pregnancy. <laughs> Blue Ivy, which ties into Beyonce's four album. Now, look, I told you again, this is a very music heavy episode. Don't hate me. <laughs> but this is there's a lot of music shit happening at this time. Um, now, look, not to like fully shock you guys and swerve you fully off the road into a ditch, but four is my favorite Beyonce album. And if you know anything about me, that makes complete sense, actually, because my favorite albums by every artist that I love end up being like their most polarizing, debated album. I don't know why. Like, I love Art Pop. I love American Life by Madonna. Um, I love Love Sexy by Prince. Like, these are my favorite albums by these artists. And uh, I don't know why that happens, but it just does. And four is no exception. This is, without a doubt, the most underrated Beyonce album, in my opinion. And the only way that I can describe this is if you are, if you're a horror fan, you'll understand this analogy, like, really well. And if not, then, like, you'll learn something. This album is the dream warriors of Beyonce's discography to me. If you're not a horror fan, Dream Warriors is the iconic third installment of Nightmare on Elm Street, and is considered by most horror fans to be the best of all of them, even better than the first one, but like one of the best horror films of all time. And the movie is good because Freddy Krueger is fully realized and he's introduced um, with more like comedic elements, but it's not so over the top that it's like cheesy, like it's menacing, you know? And I compare them because at this point, Beyonce hadn't fully leaned into her um, fertility goddess Oshun fantasy just yet. Like she was still, there was, this is the last, these are the last moments of human Beyonce. Like the four album, that's it. And the art direction was kicked up a notch, which was amazing. So we got like the Lemonade era, like artsy Beyonce on a smaller scale, but with the human element. <laughs> um, this was Beyonce attainable, but like sort of kicked up a notch. You know, she was still going on talk shows and performing singles from the album. You know, she did an almost traditional press cycle for the album, which is a, a crazy thing to even imagine. I mean, can you imagine Beyonce sitting and talking to Jimmy Fallon on a on a chair about Jay? I mean, can you fathom it? Um and I also just fucking love the songs from this album. I think they're amazing. I love the music from this album. Um, and also, by the way, this is where Beyonce fires her dad. Oh, this is good. Can we talk? So Beyonce announced to Us Magazine in March of 2011 that she would no longer be managed by Matthew Knowles. Uh, they, of course, said that it was mutual and that they supported each other and blah, blah, blah. She said, I've only parted ways with my father on a business level. He is my father for life, and I love my dad dearly. I'm grateful for everything he has taught me. I grew up watching both he and my mother manage and own their own businesses. They were hardworking entrepreneurs, and I will always continue to follow in their footsteps. And Matthew said in a statement that he was choosing to focus on his gospel artists. Lord knows nobody needs a good Christian like him in their life more than Matthew knows. The bloated Matthew knows. Uh, so TMZ reported that Beyonce believed her dad was stealing money from her. Then, according to legal documents, Matthew was claiming that Live Nation brainwashed his daughter into believing he had stolen money when it couldn't be further from the truth. And unfortunately, Beyonce's law firm did conduct an investigation that determined that was a lie. And that he was, in fact, stealing money from her tour. With that being said, it makes this album even more iconic to me. Because Beyonce was managing herself for the first time. 
And you can see in the uh, documentary that was released during this album cycle, you know, she's leading all of her own business meetings with the labels. She's hiring and firing everybody involved from like song production to like music video directing, everything. This was all her. She literally says at one point, I can do whatever I want for the first time in my entire career. Like nothing, nothing wasn't, uh, nothing wasn't run by her first. She told the press that she had, in a sense, killed Sasha Fierce and came to a place where she could merge her dueling personalities, uh, her MK Ultra beta personalities. You didn't hear it from me. And she also sought to, make, she sought out to make her first like truly artistic album with no intention of, you know, having it be commercially driven or, you know, something that they could play at the laundromat. Like this was like this was her really being. Let's let's just call it what it is, artsy fartsy. You know what I mean? The singles included "Run the World," "Best Thing I Never Had." I'm like literally the hairs on my arms are going ping 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 ping. ping. Party. Ugh. Love on Top, Countdown, and End of Time. How can you not love this album? What about this album is polarizing? I don't understand. I mean, I know that people generally like the album, but it's like, of all of her albums, it's one of the least talked about. It's one of the least mentioned. Um, It's one that people just kind of sweep under the rug. And I find that to just be really appalling. I mean, Countdown alone should be enough to put this in the ranking as one of her best albums, honestly. Even now, even post-Beyonce and post-Lemonade, I mean, are I, Love on Top? Are you kidding? Now, I'm going to say something super controversial, and I know I say that jokingly all the time, but this is actually something that will divide people listening to this episode, and... One of the things that I was like nervous about talking about when I said that I was doing this, but it's something that I can't ignore if we are going to do it. This album, and specifically its lead single, Run the World, introduced us to Beyonce 2.0, like feminist Beyonce, which is something we've all, you know, come to love and we've seen in heavier and heavier doses throughout her career. Fuck, Khalil, from independent women with Destiny's Child to like, um, you know, to the previously mentioned, to, like, run the world, up to Lemonade, I mean, it's, you know, that's, feminism is, like, a major part of Beyonce's, uh, image, her personal image, her career, the whole thing, and I applaud it, I love it, I'm here for it, obviously, but I do, and I'm just saying, hear me out, put that stone down, don't you dare, I can see it, don't you do it, Um, I find it just the slightest bit odd that Beyonce, a person who, for the most part, doesn't speak to the public, um, but she's put on this pedestal as, like, the one. Not that she's, like, a, a, you know, a practicing feminist, that she lives her life as a feminist. Not that. It's not that at all. It never has been that. It is that she is the one. She is the only one. She's the Gloria Steinem of pop music. And again, that's not to say that Beyonce shouldn't be thought of when you mention strong, iconic female pop talent. She literally is the queen of the world. And I just described her firing her dad and very easily transitioning into uh, managing her own empire. I mean, it's obvious. But (laughs) Beyonce's activism has always been expressed almost entirely through art and album themes and tour costumes, which isn't wrong by any means. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually really cool. But does it award you the title of the one? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I feel uncomfortable even talking about this, but do you know what I'm trying to say? Um... And, like, look, I have also, by the way, read that Beyonce and Jay do donate mostly anonymously to charities, and they do a bunch of, like, really cleverly named foundations, like a lot of celebrities do. Um, You know, Jay, like, donated money to get people out of jail who were protesting for Black Lives Matter. They do donate money, and they, uh, they give, which is awesome. But does standing in front 
of a feminist sign at a music festival make you the number one feminist in music history? I just don't get it. It's almost like that thing of like, it, it's I, I it's like I missed some like I missed something. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's comparable to when uh, Jennifer Aniston was voted the most beautiful woman to ever exist. Now, obviously, beauty is subjective, but it's like I'm standing here blinking, thinking, huh? Like just scratching my head, literally thinking, huh? What did I miss? I just don't know. I don't get it. And I feel like fucking Wendy Williams right now. Like this is totally I, I'm very uncomfortable, but I'm just being honest with you. You know what I mean? Does not saying anything about Black Lives Matter publicly, but performing at the Super Bowl in a Black Panther-themed leotard make you the one? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm genuinely asking because maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm the crazy one to think that, you know, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm insane for thinking that it, you know, I don't know. I, I'm uncomfortable. I'm the most uncomfortable I've ever been recording an episode. Beyonce has this power over me. This is insane. But like, would it have, all I'm saying is, would it have killed Beyonce to show up to the fucking women's march? When you're Beyonce, the self-appointed queen of all feminists, would it have killed you to put on a fucking pussy hat? You know what I mean? Like, do something. Show up somewhere. Talk. Give a speech. Do something. That's all I'm saying. To be anointed the one, you have to do, I, I need to see more than wearing a t-shirt with a, a, a charity name on it that I've never heard of, handing out water bottles in a photo. I need more. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? I think of these these very raw moments from, from like, from female pop stars, people like Gaga, who, like, on election night, when Trump was elected, I'll never forget that picture of her, like, standing on a semi in, in Times Square with a, a pride flag. No security, just standing on top of a truck that she climbed on to be like, hi, I'm here, I exist, like, I, you know, just, I, I just need to hear things, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, let me know, maybe I'm insane, maybe I'm the fucking crazy one, I may even cut this all out, who knows? <laughs> um, by the way, I can literally feel the red laser burning into my skull right now from the SWAT team that is slowly formed around my apartment. I'm covered in lasers. <laughs> there are men like roping from the ceiling. Um, Billboard wrote an article in 2017 about the very thing that I'm stuttering through right now, uh, where they said for a few years before Beyonce's embrace of the feminist movement, journalists uh, had been asking female pop stars the pointed question in interview after interview. Are you a feminist? Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, and even Beyonce has said no at times. Um, and crucifying blog headlines followed, why wouldn't these successful young women admit to supporting gender equality? Eventually, and probably as a direct result, the tide did turn, with all three of them and many more, like Miley Cyrus, Lord, and Selena Gomez, among them bandying the word uh, about in interviews. It certainly makes sense for critics to examine female pop stars through a feminist lens. As public figures, our pop stars help to define uh, and perform what it means to be a woman at any given time. Their popularity shows that a large number of people are responding to something about them, and young women often look to them for inspiration. See, what would Beyonce do memes? And unlike actresses, pop stars rely mainly on the cohesive persona that remains consistent throughout live performances, lyrics, and interviews. We believe that Taylor Swift means exactly what she says as Taylor Swift when she's singing a Taylor Swift song. They are our modern version goddesses, so it's worth, to, it's worth it to examine what exactly their persona teach us about womanhood. And that's, I mean, a, a much more eloquent way of just trying to say that, like, I, there are so many women who, um, there are so many people in the industry that associate themselves with, you know, Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ issues and feminist issues, um, but they, like, do things and, like, say stuff about it. You know what I mean? Like, during the Women's March, Beyonce had somebody from her team post a thing on Facebook that said, like, I stand with the women in the march. It's like, okay. And I, this goes for, like, everybody who claims to be involved in this, like, f fake celebrity um, uh, activism that's, like, so heightened right now. Um, but it's different with Beyonce because, like I said, she is the one. She is 
the one and the only. You know what I mean? There is no one. In most people's opinion, there is no one higher when it comes to feminism um, than Beyonce. And I guess it's like my question and my genuine question to you is, is performative activism enough? Like, is it the same thing? Is it okay to just wear a black or a Black Panther outfit at the Super Bowl? Is that enough of a message? But never speak. Is you know what I mean? Is that enough? Or are we all just blinded? I don't know. I want to be done talking about this. Um. And also, by the way, let me just also say my biggest takeaway from that and the reason that I even included that article specifically uh, is because I do think that Beyonce's mysteriousness and her lack of voice is in many ways her greatest asset because she rarely she's Beyonce is rarely held accountable for things that she says because she doesn't speak. Instead, she gives these little you know morsels of what she may or may not think and allow us, the public, to fill in the blank space with what we project onto her. It's actually genius when you think about it. But I will tell you that I don't, I just don't subscribe to a world where because I'm black and I love women, that I'm not allowed to criticize Beyonce. Like, that's just wild to me. And this specific thing has bothered me for a long time, for years and years. Um... So there it is, my deepest, darkest secret. I think Beyonce's activism is pure performative bullshit. There, you you heard it here first. You can send all of your hate mail to uh, jtimberlakenoodleheadfucker at sbcglobal.org. I'm going to go jump off the highest bridge I can find, if you don't mind. Um, at the 2011 VMA, and by the way, I really genuinely want to know. Like, I like want you guys to let me know. This was like a very uh, raw moment for me trivial for some but for me I mean and you guys get it like that was a big deal to admit I'm I'm very fearful of the Bayhive <laughs> so uh let me know if you think I'm batshit crazy and I will be totally totally open to hearing it or not um at the 2011 VMAs uh Beyonce performed my top three favorite Beyonce song of all time, Love on Top, and said on the red carpet that she would be making a very special announcement to the public during her performance. So when it starts, and we've all seen it, but let's just entertain the idea that you haven't seen it. You can only see her silhouette, and she says, uh, tonight I want you to stand up on your feet. I want you to feel the love that's growing inside of me. And you can tell the entire time that she's sort of refraining from holding her stomach, um, And then at the end, she unbuttons her blazer, she drops her microphone, and she reveals her baby bump. Truly, like, one of the most iconic, amazing moments in VMA history. Uh, It's also now become a moment in Guinness Guinness Book of World Records because it was the most tweeted per second moment ever. Like, it was the most tweeted per second event in history. Um, and I also love this, I love this, uh, like, after when they show Kanye and Jay-Z, because, you know, their, their reaction is obviously, like, super cute, and, like, Jay's, like, blushing, but then Gaga is dressed as Joe Calderon, and she's, like, still in character, being one of the guys, you know what I mean? So she's, like, giving Joe Pesci reacting, and, like, smoking, like, a candy cigarette, I don't know. Um... I'm like literally feeling remorse about what I said earlier, (laughs) literally one minute earlier, one minute ago. I hope that you guys understand that I'm not trying to read. Oh, see, now I'm like, (laughs) this is so funny. I've never felt this about literally anything I've ever said on the podcast ever. I'm like, not panicked because I think you'll hate me, but I'm panicked because I want to make sure that what I'm saying is taken in context, that I, uh... I both love Beyonce and I'm also confused by her as somebody who obsesses over stuff like this and and can't look at it on a surface level like most people do. I mean, it truly is like some some form of autism. Um, I just I've never been able to let it go. So I'm going to move on from it, as I've said three times. Jesus, Lord, are we off the rails? Is this official? Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so immediately following the VMA performance, rumors started to spread that Beyonce wasn't actually pregnant and that a surrogate was carrying her baby for her because she didn't want to ruin her body. This rumor grew legs when she confirmed uh, two separate dates for when she was expecting. She said February of 2012 and she then switched it to January. By the way, very Phaedra Parks. Like, I live... Do you remember when uh, that entire season that revolved around... Uh, Brandon and I talked about this, but, like, that entire season that revolved around Phaedra's fake delivery dates and Kim Zolciak literally showing up places specifically to ask her when her baby's due. And, like, Kim would be like, Phaedra, when are you due? Like, how pregnant are you? And she would say some crazy bullshit that was just, like, insane. Like, mm. I don't know, Jesus, something like seven months or eight months. I don't know. Eight months, I think, child, I don't know. Like, girl, <laughs> how do you not know if you're six or eight months pregnant? Um. Anyway, then came the infamous Channel 7 Australian TV interview in October of 2011, where Beyonce went to sit down in a chair and one of the camera angles made it look as though her stomach had fully collapsed in on itself and folded like a pillow. Channel 7 even, uh, they, I mean, this blew up immediately, became viral. Channel 7 released photos of her sitting down from a different angle to show that it was, in fact, her dress that sort of bunched up, but people were not interested at that point. The story had already taken off, and it was so like soapy and dramatic that people were just, I mean, obviously obsessed. Um, and there were no publicly available images of Beyonce giving birth, which people thought was very weird, which, I mean, that's insane. Like that's an insane thing for people to be upset about, but they were very angry and they felt very lied to. And it was reported that they paid $1.3 million to redecorate and lock down an entire wing of the hospital which didn't help the public's uh the public's thought process um and you know it's interesting because it's like with that mysteriousness like Beyonce is at that Michael Jackson level of fame where because we are left to fill in the blanks it allows our mind it allows our minds to wonder in places that are insane like it was even a rumor that she had come up with some way to give birth through her armpit because she didn't want to like ruin her body like really it allows us to go to a place that is like actually manic and i'm not even trying to be funny um but that like willy wonka whimsy that she lives in is dangerous this was cleared up in her life was but a dream documentary in it she says it's actually the most ridiculous rumor i think i've ever heard about me beyonce says but there are actually a lot of people that believe this rumor and it's crazy. Um, she showed images of herself pregnant to like clear things up um, in the documentary. But Gawker pointed out that all of the images were like very grainy. There was never like a moment of just full on like clear view Beyonce pregnant. So it made people even more crazy. Um, Beyonce gave birth to Blue Ivy on January 7th of 2012 and... The first photos of her were released on Tumblr. She wrote, We welcome you to share in our joy. Thank you for respecting our privacy during this beautiful time in our lives. Now, as stated, next week we are going to tie this up, I promise. We're not doing like 40 episodes. My, first of all, my heart can't take it. My heart, my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul. I can't take this. This is a lot. This is why I didn't want to do this. I am supposed to be going to bed right now but I can promise you I won't be able to because I'll be thinking about if I should cut all that out that I just said or like reword it if my message was clear blah 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 but I'm just gonna leave it as it is and you just let me know how you feel and if you hate it then you hate it and if you don't then you're my people um <laughs> I don't know I don't know what else to say I really really need to get off this hot live microphone but please I know that this is an annoying that I keep reminding you but please send me tings to smushroompod at gmail.com or dm me or whatever um i don't know i have nothing else to say next week we're going to talk about uh the the beyonce album and the elevator and i mean it's kind of like it's the you know it's the grand finale it's the climax it's the big moment we're going to talk about 
Lemonade. We're going to talk about Jay cheating. We're going to go a little bit more in depth into the like Rita Ora and Rihanna of it all. So I'm excited. I love you very much. Please don't turn on me. Um, please don't hurt my children. Please don't stone me. I love you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Smush Room, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. Also, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash ebpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon-exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.